So we'll be uh, preaching out of John 18, and uh, just a little bit of context as you turn to your Bibles in John 18, and uh, Jesus has been arrested. Pastor Terry preached last week on how Jesus was arrested in the garden. Now he's brought into the courtyard of the high priest, Annas, and there's two scenes that happen simultaneously in John 18, verse 12 through 27. One scene is a denial, a very famous denial scene by Peter. And another scene, which is happening at the same time, probably in Annas' residence, is Jesus' trial. And as Pastor Victor talked about it earlier, you're going to see one response, a response motivated by the fear of man, and another response motivated by the fear of God. And so we'll be out of John 18, verse uh, 12 to 27. I'll be reading out of the NASB. So if you're able to, wherever you're at, let's rise and let's honor God's word as we read verse 12 through 27. John 18, 12 through 27. God's word says, So the Roman cohort and the commander and officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him and led him to Annas first, for he was father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. Now Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it was expedient for one man to die on behalf of the people. Simon Peter was following Jesus, and so was another disciple. Now that disciple was known to the high priest and entered with Jesus into the court of the high priest. But Peter was standing at the door outside. So the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the doorkeeper and brought Peter in. Verse 17, Then the slave girl who kept the door said to Peter, You are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the slaves and the officers were standing there, having made a charcoal fire, for it was cold and they were warming themselves, and Peter was also with them, standing and warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teachings. Verse 20, Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I also taught in synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together, and I spoke nothing in secret. Why do you question me? Question those who have heard what I spoke to them. They know what I said. When he has said this, one of the officers standing nearby struck Jesus, struck him in the face, saying, Is that the way you answer the high priest? Jesus answered, Answered him, If I have spoken wrongly, testify of the wrong. But if rightly, why do you strike me? So Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Back to Peter now. Verse 25. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, You are not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the slaves of the high priest, being a relative of the one whose ear Peter cut off, said, did I not see you in the garden with him? Verse 27. Peter then denied it again and immediately a rooster crowed. Father, thank you for your word. I pray your word will be preached faithfully. I pray, Lord, that you will be honored during this time. And I pray, Lord, that we will love you more through the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, the theme of this sermon is the fear of man. The title of the sermon even is The Fear of Man. And so what is the fear of man? What is the fear of man? And uh, 
I got some help here. Christian counselor and author uh, Edward Welch, or Ed Welch, wrote this book called When People Are Big and God is Small. All right? And this is how he would define what the fear of man is. Okay, I'll just read it out of this book. And this is what he writes. Fear in the biblical sense is a much broader word. It includes being afraid of someone, but it extends to holding someone in awe, being controlled or mastered by people, worshiping other people, putting your trust in people or needing people. All right, so that's a pretty concise way of Ed Welch describing what the fear of man is. In other words, church family, fear can be anything or anyone that controls you. And when you combine the fear of fear and with man, the fear of man is when others, someone else other than God, controls you or dominates you. It dominates your attitudes, your thoughts, your thought life even, your actions. Who controls you? This is, the, this is what fear of man is. And here's some examples. And I, if you're honest, I think that all of us struggle with the fear of man to some degree or some form. And here, So here's some forms to kind of help uh, maybe connect us or identify us to the fear of man. Here's, what, here's the scenario that Ed Welch offers. Are you overly committed? Do you find that it is hard to say no even when wisdom indicates that you should? Then perhaps you're a people pleaser, another euphemism for the fear of man. How about this one? Is self-esteem a critical con concern for you? This is at least in the United States is the most popular way that the fear of other people is expressed. If self-esteem is, is a reoccurring theme for you, chances are that your life revolves around what others think. You reverence or fear their opinion. You need them to buttress your sense of well-being and identity. You need them to fill you up. Self-esteem. How about this? Do you ever feel as if you might be exposed as an imposter? Many business executives and apparently successful people do. The sense of being exposed is an expression of the fear of man. It means that the opinions of other people, especially their possible opinions that you are a failure, are able to control you. All right. How about this? Are you always second-guessing decisions because of what other people might think? Are you afraid of making mistakes that will make you look bad in other people's eyes? All right. How about just a couple more? How about this one? Do you ever lie? Do you ever lie, especially white, uh, little white lies? What about cover-ups where you are not technically lying with your mouth? Lying in other forms of living in the dark are usually ways to make ourselves look better before other people. They also serve to cover our shame before them. Okay? Last one. Are you jealous of other people? then you are controlled by them and their possessions. So here are just, just some examples of what Ed Welch gives. And uh, I think if we're honest, we all, there's a tension within all of us. I mean, even me as a preacher, am I doing this for the audience of one to please the Lord? Or am I conflicted with various opinions and things like that? This is no different when I was coaching in, in the world of athletics. There was a constant tension. Is this for to please others? To impress others, or is this for God, right? So I just want us to just really look at this because as we come out of the coronavirus era, we need to be, we need to come out of this stronger, even more clearer, so that we could be a strong witness for the Lord. And this is a witness opportunity that Peter had. 
He had an opportunity to witness for Christ right here out of John 18. And, and I know I've been, getting, give, been given more witness opportunities just jogging the streets. And then when, once we're able to just now get back together, will you be ready to witness without any fear? And, and I believe the fear of man is what holds most of us, if not all of us, many of us, from telling people about Christ. Why wouldn't you want to tell people about Christ? So we're going to look at two scenes out of John 18 and see how the fear of man or the, or the fear of God, how it plays out in these two scenes. So we're going to get right to it right now. So scene number one, scene number one, this is, we're going to call it the denial of Peter. Scene number one, the denial of Peter, where the fear of man will make us cower. All right? Will make us cower. So this is the scene. We already read it. Peter's brought into the court of the high priest. This is where the high priest's residence was, where he lived. And John, I believe this is John, the other unknown disciple is John, I believe. And he talks to the doorkeeper. The doorkeeper lets Peter in. And then here's that scene. Now there's Peter and all the slaves of the high priest huddled around a fire in the courtyard. And this is where verse 17, let me just reread verse 17 for us. says, Then the slave girl who kept the door said to Peter, You're not also one of the, this man's disciples, are you? And Peter said, I am not. Right? I am not. And there's three denials that happens. This is the first one. This is the first one. The second one happens in verse 25 and then, and then, in, and then verse 27 is the third one. And Matthew adds a little bit more color to each of them, the Gospel of Matthew, where the second denial is like where Peter makes an oath. I swear, I don't know him. It, 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 just, it, it escalates even more his emphasis of how much he doesn't know the Lord. Perhaps the first time it's kind of a passing, no, I, don't, I don't know him, I don't, I, I don't know what you're talking about. The second time, maybe even the same slave girl comes to him and says, are you sure? He goes, and he goes, he makes an oath. I swear, I don't know him. And then the third time, some more slaves come around Peter, and they ask him, are you sure? Right here, even in verse 26, one of the slaves of the high priest, being a relative, the one whose ear Peter cut off, Malchus's relative, said, didn't I not see you in the garden with him? Didn't I see you cut my relative's ear off? And then Peter says, denied it. An immediate rooster crowed. And in this third denial, Matthew describes it as he's calling down a curse upon himself, upon Peter, as if, if I'm lying, may God curse me. And that's how far Peter went to deny our Lord. Now, this is important. Now, what would, to, for us to understand, what would cause a man like Peter to deny, deny the Lord? Right, what would make Peter cower so much? Because Peter's not a coward. I don't think Peter's a coward. I mean, Peter is the disciple, right, who left his fishing business to follow the Lord. I think that's a bold move. I don't think that's a coward's move. Peter is the one that steps out of the boat and walks on water. That's a bold move of faith. Peter is the one, although not wise or the way the Lord would have it, was the one who would draw a sword and try to defend the Lord in front of 600, potentially 600 Roman soldiers. That's not a coward's act. 
And Peter is also the one who's in the courtyard. Where are the other disciples? John is probably in the residence, and Peter's out there in the courtyard. So Peter is not a coward. And Peter genuinely loved the Lord, right? Peter genuinely loved the Lord. He had a passion for the Lord. The point is this. If Peter can stumble like this, we all could stumble. None of us are above Peter, all right? And Peter is a gift to the church, and I'm grateful that our Lord had this account recorded for us to understand. He is not a coward, but the fear of man made him cower. All right? And this is just how powerful the fear of man is. So let's get a little bit of background into this denial. All right? Where Jesus and Peter talked about this, as we know, many of us know, in the, in the, at the Last Supper, John 13, 36 and 38, where Peter says, I will lay down my life for you, Lord. That's what he says. I will die for you, Jesus. And then P Jesus responds to Peter saying, Truly, truly, a rooster will not crow until he deny me three times. Jesus predicted it. Peter said it, that he would never deny the Lord. And Jesus actually predicts that he would deny him three times. Now, as I dug deeper into this, uh, the Last Supper, Luke 22 adds some more insight. Luke 22, verse 24. There's an interesting conversation that was taking place with the disciples at the Last Supper before Peter says all this and then, and then, and then where Jesus predicts that he would betray him or deny him three times. And this is where the disciples were having this huge discussion, or this debate even. Who is the greatest? This is the discussion that they're having. Who is the greatest? Who is the greatest? And then Jesus goes on to teach them that, you know, being great, you got to be a servant. And then this is where, after that, Peter says, I will die for you. I will not deny you. And so Peter, Peter really fed off his peers. You know, Ed Welch calls fear of man peer pressure as well, where he needed the respect of his cohorts. He needed the admiration and the esteem and the acceptance of his peers. This is important to him. And I think this is important to many of us, your peers. And where Peter needed respect... You know, he, he, he makes this bold claim. And perhaps some of that spilled into his actions at the Garden of Gethsemane to try to defend our Lord. And then, so now we're thrust into the, the courtyard again, uh, chapter 18 of John. All right? Remember, just a reminder, Ed Welch's is, is, uh, definition of fear is what or who controls you. All right, what or who controls you. So let's look into verse 18. What aided Peter to deny the Lord? Verse 18 says this, Now the slaves and the officers were standing there, having made a charcoal fire. So here's the slaves of, of, the, of the high priest and the officers were standing there, and they made a charcoal fire, for it was cold. So this shows that it was in the middle of the night, cold. And they were warming themselves, and Peter was also with them, standing and warming himself. Verse 25, John emphasized that again. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. All right. So Peter was in the courtyard of the high priest, huddled up with, with the servants or the slaves of the high priest. 
And so in essence, he's huddled up with the world, and it's cold, and he's alone. He, apart from his disciples, the Lord is in the, is in the residence with, 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 the, with Annas. And there's no other disciples around him. John is probably with, uh, near Jesus as well. And he's surrounded by the slaves of the high priest. And it was cold. And it says Peter was also with them warming himself up with the same fire. Same. Peter was isolated. And then he's, and then he's asked these questions and he denies the Lord. All right, are you isolated? During this coronavirus time, are you isolated? I get it. We are not able to get together as easily in the, pers- in the flesh but are you making attempts to stay connected with the brotherhood and sisterhood? Perhaps you live in a non-Christian home. Maybe you're the only Christian brother or sister surrounded with non-believers. We need to stay connected with one another. We need to stay comforted with one another. This is how this works. And at times, we could be comforted by the world too much. And what do I mean by that? I mean, this is, life is great. It really is. This world has a lot to offer, you know, with jobs. We have non-Christian friends, of course. We have sports. We have a lot of other things, schoolwork. There's a lot of good things that this world has to offer, and good things at that. But do we, as Christians, drink too deeply from these things? Do we warm ourselves with what the world has to offer rather than what the Lord has? Here's an example. Back in my own life, my own testimony, I remember early on I became a Christian at the University of Southern California. And I was a player, then I ended up coaching a few years, a year later. And I remember as a coach, I loved it. I mean, I loved it. I mean, it, this was the, beyond my wildest dreams. I was coaching at the University of Southern California. I was coaching football. I was coaching some great athletes. I was with some great coaches. I loved it. People started knowing me as, as the, the walk-on who got the scholarship. People started knowing me as, a, as, as someone who became a coach. All that stuff, I loved it. Nothing wrong with that necessarily, but earlier on in my faith, I was way more calculated in how and when I shared about Christ. And part of that was because I loved what I was doing and where I was at. I didn't want to lose it. I didn't want to jeopardize my place. So brothers and sisters, at times when, when, when things of the world, even good things, start forming our identity, who we are, where we get our worth, where we get our esteem, it could get scary to talk about the Lord. It could get very scary. And, and, and years later, when I went to Seattle, the Lord humbled me and broke me in many ways. And I, wasn't, I was less calculated when talking about Christ. And, uh, but earlier on in that setting, I could understand. I was huddled around the fire of college and football, and those things were very important to me. I didn't want to stick out. I wanted it to fit in. And perhaps Peter felt this way. Perhaps Peter distanced now from his disciples. Perhaps the Lord was out of sight at that time. And now he was huddled around not know, with the world, not knowing what's going to happen with them. And perhaps he wanted to fit in. Perhaps that's what happened. 
So we must stay near Christ. And so that during that time, the Lord, for me, at, at USC, brought forth a lot of good fellowship. Fellowship through teammates, fellowship through coaches. I had, I had a man named Mike Sylvester who was helping disciple me even. I had good fellowship. I had good fellowship. And during, surrounding that fellowship was Bible study. We would study the Bible. And then and we'd pray together. And I started growing in my own prayer life. And through that, I, I believe the Lord started giving me a greater conviction for who he was and who he is so that I could speak more freely about him. During this coronavirus time, some things I would love for our church family to grow in is fellowship. Although we're not able to see together each other, each other in face-to-face, I know our branches are happening. I'm so grateful our branches are happening, whatever community uh, we're part of. I'm part of the Los Alamitos branch, and I'm excited to say that. And, and, and perhaps we're able to call each other more. Zoom or FaceTime, all these things. We need to f- compete to remain in good fellowship, close fellowship with our, with our brothers and sisters. Bible study. Obviously, we're tuning in right now to hear the word preached, but are we in the word? All right, and our church offers up ACE, and we're, ace, we're at night, tonight even, we're able to still be taught the word in a more smaller, intimate setting. Bible study. Our church is focusing on this and, and, and cannot overemphasize your own personal Bible. So are, you, are we in the Bible? Are we fellowshipping with God in the word? Prayer. This Thursday, we have our National Day of Prayer, but every Monday... We have an all-church prayer meeting at 6.30 a.m. and then 7.30 p.m. where brothers and sisters are able to come together. We get to pray with one another. These are opportunities for us to come together, to fellowship with one another, to huddle around the Word, to huddle around prayer even. This is important that we do this. And this is very important that this happened to Peter. Peter needed to go through this because in certain settings, he looked like he was fearless. (laughs) Like nothing could stop him. He was a superman. But it took a slave girl to humble Peter. And Peter needed to see this so that he could repent of this and be the Peter uh, after the resurrection. And Peter in Acts chapter 2, preaching Christ boldly. Peter needed to go this. And perhaps the Lord has allowed us to go through things like this to humble us and to draw us near to him. All right, let's go to the next scene. All right, the next scene is, it's like, it's like saying, meanwhile, back at the ranch. You know, it's like this is happening simultaneously as Peter is denying the Lord. Scene two is happening right now. Scene two is this, the trial of Christ. Scene two is, is the trial of Christ. And the fear of God makes us strong and courageous. Let's take a look, guys, at how our Lord handled this type of questioning. How our Lord handled this opportunity. Verse 19 talks about it, how the high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. There's Jesus and Annas right now, all right? And and just a a side note about Annas and Caiaphas. Who's the high priest? Why does it say Caiaphas was the high priest that year? Why was Jesus seeing Annas first? Well, just a quick explanation. Annas was really the high priest as the Jews saw it. Annas was the one who the people looked to, the Jews, as the high priest. The Jews had it that the high priest was the high priest for life. And then why was Caiaphas the high priest that year? Well, because it was the Romans. 
The Romans want to make sure not one person has so much power to unify the people to perhaps even create a revolt. They've had, uh, the Jews even had revolts in the past in their, in their history. And so Annas ha- was the high priest, but Caiaphas had the office of the high priest. Okay? And, and, and in essence, Annas had five sons who were high priests. So this, this whole thing was in the family, but Annas was the ringleader. Annas was the champion in this whole group. And so Annas, in verse 19, is interrogating Jesus. And this is an illegal trial. This is an unlawful way of doing, holding trial. In verse 19, Annas is questioning Jesus. Hey, he's basically asking him questions to incriminate himself. And in the Jewish law system, this was illegal. Just like in our court systems, we have the Fifth Amendment. The Fifth Amendment basically does not allow a defendant to incriminate himself. You know, he doesn't have to answer any questions that would incriminate himself. Did you steal the car? You don't have to answer that, even if you did. And so what, what you would have to do is bring about witnesses and evidence to incriminate any defendant. So that's what Annas needed to do, but he didn't do it. He went straight to Jesus, trying to have Jesus incriminate himself. And this is how Jesus responds to this. Verse 20, Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I've always spoken openly, Annas. You know, and then here he goes. He goes, I've always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together. I've spoken openly about who I am. So the Lord stands by who he is. His response is the same. I don't change. This is what I said back then, and then I still stand by this. But verse 21, he goes, why do you question me? Jesus answered him, why do you question me? Question those who have heard what I spoke to them. They know what I said. Basically, Jesus is calling on Annas to respond legally. Okay, if you want to try me, call, up, call for some witnesses who will testify about this. And then look what happens. Verse 22, one of the slaves or the servants of the high priest strikes Jesus in the face. Our Lord is assaulted during this, uh, during this time, completely illegal. And this is all emblematic of what, when it's happening. It's happening at night. This is all happening in the evening. Verse 23, Jesus answers him, If I have spoken wrongly, testify of the wrong. But if rightly, why do you strike me? Why am I on trial? What have I done wrong? Jesus is asking. And this is, a, this is a big thing here. Jesus never backed down. Jesus never backed down. Jesus never backed down one inch from his claims. In that setting, Peter denied the Lord. He, Peter shows his broken humanness. Right here, Jesus shows where his mind and his heart is at. He is truly the God-man. Fully God, fully man. And although... Perhaps everyone has left him. All right? Maybe John is kind of in the vicinity someplace. But in essence, Jesus is there with Annas. He may have felt alone, but he wasn't alone. Turn with me to John 16. John 16, 32. John 16, 32. This is what Peter, Jesus predicted would happen, and this is what Jesus, this is where Jesus' confidence lay. Behold, an hour is coming and has already come for you to be scattered. Talk about the disciples. You'll be scattered each to his own home and to leave me alone. 
right? He knew he would be left alone from his disciples. And yet, and yet, look at here it is. I am not alone because the Father is with me. That statement tells us exactly what where our Lord's confidence was. He knew God was with him. He knew his Father was with him. And he trusted and feared the Father. The fear of God gives us strength and courage because we know it's not about ourselves. Jesus knew the Father was with him, and he only wanted to please him. It didn't matter about pleasing a slave girl. It didn't matter about pleasing Annas. It won't matter pleasing Pilate in a few moments. All he wanted to do was please the Father and rely on him. This is what allowed Christ, our Lord, to be strong and courageous. This is why as he looked Annas in the eye and said, I've already said it. You know what I said. And I still stand by those claims. I am the Messiah. I am the Christ. Jesus didn't back down one bit. Do you ever feel alone? You know, and I think during this time when we talked about it already, perhaps some of us feel lonely, feel alone because of the safer at home edict. Or even maybe without the coronavirus era, maybe your home is divided. Maybe your spouse isn't a Christian. All right, brother or sister, maybe your spouse isn't a Christian, and you have a conviction about attending church, sending the kids to youth group. Maybe you feel alone in those type of situations. Maybe at work, brother or sister, you feel alone, where you have a conviction to be open about your faith, but you know just the, the culture and environment wouldn't exactly smile upon this. Just kind of maybe perhaps what I described earlier about my own coaching experience. Perhaps you feel alone. And you don't see many other Christians or open Christians around you. Maybe in the university setting, my younger brothers and sisters, and you have a conviction that you believe in the inerrancy and authority and the sufficiency of the Bible. You believe the Bible is God's word. And maybe you're in a secular university where they definitely don't believe that. Or maybe you're in a, a, a Christian college where they're walking away from this. Your professors are teaching something different. Do you feel alone? Well, you're not alone. You're not alone. Just like our Lord wasn't alone, God is with us. All right, we're not alone. We're not alone. God promises that he will send his spirit to us, to those who are called according to his purpose. We have God living within us. We're never alone. We are never alone. Stay true to Christ. Stay true to the convictions that he's given us. The fear of man will make us cower, but the fear of God will make us strong and courageous. We want to be like our Lord. We want to be like Jesus. We want to be like him. And you know, he tells us in John 16, 32, why he was the way he was. It was because the Father is with me. The Father's with me. We're never alone. We're never alone in our minds and our hearts. Do we want to just please him alone? Right? Now, we went to two scenes here. And, and, and out of John 18, there's two big scenes. Scene one, the denial of, of Peter. Scene two, the trial of Christ. But I'm going to give you a bonus cut here. This is not in John 18. That's why I call it a bonus cut. But this bonus cut is the, I'm going to call it the ending of Judas. All right, 
And also, the fear of man will make us despair. The fear of man will make us despair. And why do I bring up Judas? I don't know. When I think of Peter denying the Lord, I also think about my mind is automatically drawn to Judas who betrayed the Lord. Just moments earlier, Judas betrayed Jesus with a kiss. Judas is the one that led the 600 or so Roman soldiers to arrest Jesus. Jesus is now being illegally tried, and Judas is that link. And in Matthew 27, let me just read Matthew 27. This is a bonus cut out of Matthew 27. This is how Judas ended up. Matthew 27, verse 1 through 5. Now when morning came, after all this, all the chief priests and the elders of the people conferred together against Jesus to put him to death. So they decided, these men tried Jesus to put him to death. Verse 2, they bound him and led him away and delivered him to Pilate, the governor. Then when Judas, who, had been, who betrayed him, saw that he had been condemned, he felt remorse. He felt bad. He felt guilty. He goes, I did something wrong. He felt bad. And returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. But they said, what is that to us? See to, to, to that yourself. He goes, what is that? That's not our problem. That's your problem. Verse 5, And he threw the pieces of silver into the temple sanctuary and departed, and he went away and hanged himself. All right. We don't want to end up like Judas. We don't want to end up like Judas. We want to end up like Peter. Okay, Peter was restored. Judas never uh, came out of this. Judas was never a believer. Judas never believed in Christ. Judas feared man. Judas, to relieve his issue of guilt, he didn't go to the Lord. All he simply had to do was go to the Lord and say, Forgive me, Lord. I've sinned against you. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. I believe the Lord would have forgiven him, but instead of doing that, He goes to the priest. He goes to the temple. He goes to man to relieve his guilt. This is what Judas did. He never, ever trusted in the Lord. And as he betrayed the Lord, he simply looked to relief through man. That is also the fear of man. Ed Welch talks about when when we need man more than when we need God. That's what happened to Judas. We don't want to be, end up like Judas. And what's the remedy for the fear of man? How do we act like Peter rather than act like Judas? All right, how do we rectify this? Well, let's just compare and contrast the two responses. All right, Judas, he had remorse. What is remorse? I'll put it in my terms. I'm sorry I got caught. All right, Peter repented. Peter, in essence, I've sinned against you, God. Forgive me. Judas, remorse. I'm sorry how this hurts my reputation. I'm sorry how badly this makes me look in front of people. Peter, I have not glorified you, Lord. I didn't make you look good. Judas, where was his focus? Where did he go? He went to the temple. Judas's remorse led him to damage control. He was more interested in making sure he salvaged some kind of reputation with the people. 
And then when they denied him, when they rejected him, it was over. He had nothing left. Peter, Peter repents when the Lord looks to restore him. He turns away from his sin and turns to Christ. He says, Lord, I love you. Yes, I do love you. You know I love you. John 21. So in essence, Judas's remorse was about man's approval, fear of man, where Peter's repentance was about his trust in the Lord. So repentance, repentance is the key to remedy the fear of man. Repentance, all about repentance. And I want to turn to uh, 1 Peter. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Peter here. Let's turn to 1 Peter here. Chapter 3. Verse 14. Let's see how Peter ended up here. This is Peter. We want, and the point is this. We're all Peters. We're all going to be Peters at one point or another. We're going to sin against our Lord. We may not be as courageous or bold as when we need to be at times. We're, we're all going to be Peters. We're all going to be Peters. But look how Peter responded here. Peter experienced the grace of Christ the mercy of our Lord, where our Lord comes looking back to him in John 21 and restores him and says, you're still my guy. Peter repented. And look what Peter says here. This is how Peter ended up. 1 Peter 3, 14 to 15. And even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. All right? Peter's talking about persecution. Peter's talking about being persecuted as a Christian. But look at his exhortation. And do not fear their intimidation. And do not be troubled, he says. Fear. Don't fear the people. Do not fear man, he's saying. Don't you think a lot of this was birthed from his own restoration process? He knew exactly what he was talking about. He lived it. He lived the restoration of it as well. He says, do not fear their intimidation. Do not fear or be troubled, it says. But look what he says here, verse 15. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. But sanctify, set apart, make holy Christ as Lord in your hearts. Always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. Yet with gentleness and reverence. Perhaps Peter was thinking about this slave girl. Perhaps Peter was thinking about that charcoal fire that he was huddled around as he penned these words. Perhaps Peter is thinking about these things. Right now, as he is writing about how great the grace of his Lord Jesus Christ is and how he's been restored, he's able to pen this with full conviction, full integrity, knowing that he wasn't perfect in this, but knowing how he knows better now. And so, brothers and sisters, this word sanctify means to set apart. During this time now, I believe the Lord's going to open up opportunities for us to witness for Christ in a grand way. When we come out of our homes, people are going to be asking you, how did you handle this situation? What is your answer going to be? 
Peter says, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. You sanctify, set apart Christ in your hearts, and then you'll speak about what's real in your hearts. You'll be ready. Prepare yourself for that moment. Prepare yourself to run out of the gates talking about Christ for every single person that asks you why you have this hope that you have and that they, they don't have. But the key is this. Before these moments happen, brothers and sisters, it doesn't happen overnight. You need to set your mind in your, your mind and your heart to say, Jesus, you are my Lord. In your hearts, not just in your minds about, yes, I know Jesus is my Lord. No, 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 no. In our hearts, the truth must transfer into our hearts to trust Christ as our Lord. So where you fear him and you don't, you're not intimidated by man. Where Christ, you just at the end of the day, you're thinking, Lord, I'm going to answer to you someday and I want to be found faithful. That is the exhortation that Peter is giving to us. That is the grace that Peter experienced from way back in the charcoal fire with a slave girl. This is the grace that our Lord has for us. Perhaps you haven't been as bold. I get it. I'm there with you. I've been like that before. But there's something that happens when you set Christ as Lord of all in your hearts. You determined, this is it. <laughs> this is what matters. This is it. This is what I'm living for. He who is what I want to please. His strength is what I live on. And at the end of the day, I want to hear, well done, good and faithful slave, when I see him someday. So brothers and sisters, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts today. So that when the Lord opens up the gates for us, we're able to walk confidently and speak about our Lord. But, but it says this, yet with gentleness and reverence, <laughs> with gentleness and respect for those who are asking us. Brothers and sisters, you're going to have an opportunity. I believe God's going to open up opportunities for us. My job as a pastor is I want to give you the word. I want to prepare you for this. I want us to project through this now. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Whatever that means in, in decisions and how you prioritize your events as an individual, as a family, and then also your hearts when you are out there. So the fear of man, just review, 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 makes us cower. Let's not fear man. Peter says, don't fear them. And he's speaking from someone who understands. The fear of man will leave you in despair like Judas. No, no, no. When we fail, let's just repent. Let's turn to the Lord. Lord, I need you. You're the one that matters. Your opinion is the one, is the one that matters. Let's fear God. Let's be strong and courageous. Now we're going to have time to take communion as a church family here now. And I want us to make sure as we have this, have our time to sing before we take communion, I want us to be able to take communion in a worthy manner. We want to take communion in a worthy manner. We want to be able to honor the Lord in this. So right now, as Pastor Terry will lead us in, in praise in just a moment, I want us to be able to sing, but also I want us to, before the Lord, if there's any sin that we need to repent of,
Let's repent. Be like Peter. Take it to the Lord. Admit the wrong and take, be ready to take communion in a worthy manner. And, and, and just also know that if you have a grudge or, or, or a beef with someone in the church family, I'd encourage you not to take communion. The Lord calls us to be unified as we take communion. So just know that taking communion in a worthy manner is absolutely critical. So after Pastor uh, Terry leads a song, I'll be back up and we'll take the communion elements together. But let me just close in prayer. Father, I thank you for this time to preach your word. Thank you for, for, this, for your uh, accounting of Peter, Lord. Thank you that Peter was restored by your amazing love and your amazing grace, the grace that we sung about earlier. Your mercy and your grace is greater than all of our sin. And I thank you that Peter was not left useless. I thank you that Peter was not left in shame and guilt, but Peter was restored. Although he wasn't perfect, he was restored to usefulness, and he was able to tell us, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. So Lord, I pray during this time as we sing and, and praise you in song that we will prepare our hearts to take communion in a worthy manner. Lord, if there's any sin that we need to repent of, I pray, Lord, that we will be humble and that we will repent of these things to you. And Father, I pray if there's anyone that comes to mind that we need to be at peace with, that we would uh, be humble and wait for taking communion so that we can make peace before we take communion. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that we will think about the precious price that it took to save us, Lord, to save Peter, your precious blood. So Lord, I pray we would think about these things, Lord, as we sing as a church family. Prepare our hearts to take communion. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.